Welcome, everybody. Man, they turned the light on, and I was like, whoa. Everybody came today. <laughs> it's not even Easter. What are y'all doing here? <laughs> Good to see everybody. My name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the pastor here. Come say hi to me after service. I would love to get to know you. If it's your first time or if we haven't met yet, uh, please come say hi. We're in the middle of a series. Man, I am loving this series. I love it. Uh, it's called Jesus is Greater. And we are going through the book of Hebrews and learning all the ways that he is greater. And today we're going to be covering the topic greater than Joshua. So far we've looked at greater than the angels, greater than Adam, greater than Moses today, greater than Joshua. And the, the title is Striving for Rest, which is such an oxymoron, which is why I love today's topic. Um, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Hebrews uh, journal, you can follow along with us. We also have uh, it on the screen today. Uh, but so far, just to kind of rehash what we've talked about, is last week, chapter 3, ch Hebrews chapter 3 ends with a, a rehash of, of Numbers 13 and 14. And if you're on the app, I ask you, read Numbers 13 and 14 before you came today so we can get a better picture of what we're talking about. Uh, the, the people of Israel get so close to God's promise, to his rest. But they did not listen to Joshua and Caleb who had faith in what God had told them they would get, which is the promised land. But the, the spies, they saw the promised land and they said, it is crazy out there. There are giants. They are going to slaughter us. They are going to beat us. We are going to lose. We have to run. God brought us here to kill us. But Joshua and Caleb said, guys, don't you know the report of the Lord? But everybody said, you know what, Joshua and Caleb, we're going to kill you. <laughs> you ever have a word for somebody and instead of thanking you for it, they want to stab you for it? <laughs> I've seen daggers in people's eyes sometimes. So the people did not enter into the rest of God or into the promise because of unbelief. And what happened? They wandered the wilderness then for 40 years because of their unbelief and disobedience to God. And so that I want us to walk in because that story has a lot of weight in what we're going to be talking about today. Really, Hebrews chapter 3 to chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 is one unit. I split it up into two weeks. And so what we did last week plays a lot. We, we spoke a little bit about rest last week, but we're really diving into it today. And so you can read along with me, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them or the people of Israel. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. See, the pastor who is writing this sermon to the city in the book of Hebrews is concerned. And he is using the people of Israel as his object lesson. They failed to reach God's rest. They failed to enter into the promise because they did not believe. And the same choice is before us today. 
We have heard the good news. Our faithful champion has paved the way. His news is greater than any other news given in the history of the world and any news that will be given in its future. But the question is here, will we reach his rest? Will we believe or will we fall like Israel did? Will we fail to enter into what God has for us? See, Joshua and Caleb, they came with the good news. We can take the land. God has given it to us. Come, let's rise up. Let's go. Let's go into battle. But Israel did not share in their faith. And literally, it says that the faith of Joshua and Caleb had no benefit to them. Joshua and Caleb had faith to walk in. But that faith was no benefit to Israel because they disbelieved. They disobeyed, and they did not enter into the rest. See, the truth is, church, you can hear the good news. You can see people proclaim the good news with faith. You can regularly participate in the body and still harden your hearts to Jesus. That's what this pastor writing the book of Hebrews is concerned about. It is my main worry in the church of America today that we have normalized the church so much to fit our comfort zone, to everything that we like and everything that we want, but have not altered our life to bend to the gospel. As long as it fits into what I desire, into what I am comfortable with, into what I like, then I get to participate. I will enjoy it. But the second that I have to begin to bend to the lordship, to the news of something else outside of where I like to go. And that is where my faith ends. That is where my belief stops. See, the truth is I can preach every week. You can hear every week. But if you never join with me in faith that Jesus is Lord and worthy of all your worship, worthy of all that you have, then all that I say will be of no benefit to you. It will have no benefit in your life. It will have no fruit in your heart. Proximity to the good news doesn't matter. Faith is what matters to the good news. Do you believe in the message that came down through Jesus that was greater than any angel, greater than any prophet that came and shared? Do you believe this message of faith, of who Jesus is? The the preacher goes on in verse 3. He says, For we who have believed enter that rest, As he said, quoting Psalm 95, as I swore on my rest, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, 
saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So it's interesting is the literal Greek to English translation make this a little bit hard to understand. So if you read this and you think, okay, it was hard to follow it, don't worry. I think this passage was a little hard to follow. And so let me just kind of break down. This is what the pastor is saying here. There are two types of people in the congregation right now. There are those who believe and who will enter into the rest of God. And there are those who heard and who disobey and will not enter into his rest. There is a rest in Jesus that is greater than the rest given by Joshua. See, the rest given by Joshua was the rest that the people of Israel found in Canaan. Into the promise, and it meant rest from hardship of pilgrimage. The people were told, you will have a home, finally. It was rest from hostility. You will have peace. It was rest from insecurity. You will be a stable people. Psalm 95 here quoted, was written after the settlement in Canaan. This is written after the people had already received the rest. And so the preacher says, after Joshua's rest was given, there was another rest that was promised. There was another rest that was coming, a greater rest than the rest that the people of Israel received in Canaan, a greater rest than the people received through Joshua. God's rest at the consummation of history at the end of all things will be joy and feasting, will be praise and celebration. And God is inviting us into that rest today. Today he invites us into his rest where in eternity, just like him, we will rest from our work. It will be a time of celebration. The work will be over in Revelation 21, verse 1, we get a picture of this rest, this rest to come, that we are invited into this rest and into this, this beautiful city of God where we go and we read this into this picture of this vision that John was given of heaven. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. See, the rest of Canaan was a rest from some things, but not a rest from all things. See, in God's rest, he says, he will wipe away the tears. 
we will have eternal comfort in God. Death will be no more. There will be no decay. There will be no rot. Only life everlasting in the presence of God. There will be no mourning, for we will have that eternal joy that only comes from being with Jesus for eternity. There will be no more crying. We will have a peace that is final in life. There will be no more pain. We will be healed of every affliction, every disease, every scar in our heart. It will all be forgiven. It will be mended, and we will be whole forevermore. The old will be gone, for behold, he will make all things new. This is the rest that we are invited into, that we are called into, the rest that was promised from the very beginning, God's rest on the Sabbath. The rest that the people of Israel saw slightly when they got into Canaan, it was the promise for them, but it was not the consummation of all things. It was not the fulfillment of all things. It was a type and a shadow of the rest that would be to offered that would be offered to us for eternity. But to get there, the preacher says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 11, but to get there, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. With no creature, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. For since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. True story. My first, we were talking about this in membership class. My first uh, AOL name. Anybody ever remember, like, your first email, your first instant messenger name? Uh, We, we, one of the icebreakers that we had in our membership class was to, Share your first uh, email, your first membership name. We didn't realize how naked and exposed we would feel <laughs> when sharing it. Because um, if it's any like most of us, it's pretty embarrassing. So mine was Yanks B-Boy H412. I'm laying myself out there for you right now. <laughs> right, Yankees? Because any, any good New Yorker is a Yankees fan. Um B-boy, because I took breakdancing lessons for a little, and I thought I was all that. (laughs) You don't want to see my sixth step right now. I had to retire it. (laughs) And age 412, because like any good Christian, I needed to put a Bible verse in my name. (laughs) And I put Hebrews 412 was my favorite Bible. And the only reason I think I can remember is because it had a sword in it. And you all know my fascination with knives. Um. <laughs> and so I, as a kid, this was my favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible, maybe one of the favorite verses that I, I memorized. And also like a good Christian kid, I had no clue the context and it was talking about. Um, but I just knew that God's word 
was powerful. And that kind of kept me as a kid in a lot of different situations. And what the, but what the, the writer of Hebrews, the preacher is saying here is he talks about this rest, this grand rest that we are all invited into. And we get the picture of that rest in Revelation of what the new heavens and the new earth will look like. No sorrow, no pain. No more sickness, no more crying, no more mourning. This is the rest that we are invited into. But to get us there, he says, to get us there, we must work hard. We must strive. We must, in other words, he has said, we must hold fast, we have seen. He has also said, hold firm. And James, you hear things like hearing and doing, faith and works. It's, it's littered all over scripture when Jesus says, to be his disciple, to truly follow him. He says, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. This is not easy. So often we hear about the good news of Jesus that it does not take any works of the law for us to be saved. And then we think, oh great, I can be lazy for the rest of my life. I no longer have to work. But the truth is, it takes hard work. Christianity is about hard work, about running the race and not giving up, about persevering, about character building, about following through with what you said you were going to do, about holding firm or holding fast when everything looks dire around you, when everyone is telling you to give up, like Job that said, God hates you, God doesn't care about you, don't you look at your life, you should curse God's name, but he said, I know who God is, but in his private time, he cried before the face of God and said, it's hard, God, what are you doing? It is hard work. Holding fast and firm to the confession of your faith. Don't be deceived that it's easy. That just because I preach up here, it's easy. That just because you see somebody worship, that it's easy. That just because you see someone's a leader, that it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy that got somebody to where they are. It's perseverance that gets us to where we are. It's saying I have confidence in the faith of Jesus that no matter what my world looks like around me that he is faithful that no matter how much things may collapse that he is my champion that no matter what my life my bank account my job my kids my home no matter what it looks like I will hold firm because the enemy may be able to steal everything from me my friends may be able to take my trust from them. The, the world may come in and say, you have no more home, you have no more job. The, everything can be broken and ripped away, but there is one thing that nobody can take from us that we have to give up, and that is our faith in Jesus. So often in American Christianity, if you take away our things, you take away our faith. So your faith was never in Jesus, it was in your things. Hold fast to your faith in Jesus. Hold firm to your faith. The confidence in your confession that you can say that no matter what it looks like, no matter what persecution is coming my way, no matter what hardship is coming my way, no matter what suffering is in store for me, I have confidence in the original confession of faith 
in Jesus. That he is greater. He is more powerful. That there's no reason for me to fear the one who can destroy the body. Because there is only one authority over my soul. So often we get so caught up in the earth and we think the earth is, is everything that we need to look for and to strive for. And we think, man, if I have not made it in earth, then I, I am nothing. But even Jesus, when somebody said they wanted to follow him, he said, foxes have holes and something has dens. What is the thing that has dens? But I have no place to lay my head. He was a failure by every measure of success in our standards. He didn't have a mega church. He didn't park somewhere and just let the, the th when the crowds came to him, he would say crazy things and they would leave him. Now when the crowds come to us, what do we do? We ail everything for them. We, we cover it in, in honey and smoothness and grace so that they can come back for more so we can get our Instagram following up. But this preacher knows that the church is about to go through worse persecution than they've ever faced before. And he says, don't forget, your confidence lies in your faith in Jesus. It doesn't lie in your life on earth. It doesn't lie in your stuff. It doesn't lie in anything that you have materially or possessions. It doesn't lie in any of that. It lies in one thing. It lies in Jesus. Church, we must do whatever it takes to hold fast and firm to our confession. We must have this attitude of, I don't care what I have to give up. It is worth it to enter into his rest. I don't care what past comforts that I knew that no longer are going to be part of my life. It is worth it to enter into his rest. Whatever it takes, getting up early, whatever it takes, Finding a new job, whatever it takes. Finding new friends, whatever it takes. Giving up my boyfriend and my girlfriend, if that's what God calls, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. What are the things that you struggle with? The things that cause disobedience in your life. I lied to myself for years telling myself that I hated the things in my life that would cause me to disobey God. When God opened up my eyes one day and said, Justin, you don't hate these things. You love them because they're still part of your everyday life. You don't do everything. You don't ruthlessly eliminate the things that make you disobey me. Instead, you keep them close along with me in your life so that I'm one God of many in your heart. Whatever it takes. There are things that I have to do that other people would say, you're crazy for doing that. Things that are good things in our life that I've had to get rid of that maybe other people will look at and say, that's weird. Why don't you do that? It's not that it's a bad thing, but it became a bad thing for me or it led me to bad things. There are ways that I have to live my life for the rest of my life. I know because 
It's not worth disobeying God over this. If I can't watch a certain show anymore, okay, it's not worth disobeying God over. If I can't browse my computer in peace anymore and always have some kind of software on it, it's okay. It's not worth disobeying God for that privacy anymore. If I have to talk to people and reveal the things that I want to keep hidden, okay, it's not worth disobeying God anymore. See, the things in our life that come and cause us to disobey, cause us to walk away from the rest that God has, they're the comforts that Israel had, the comforts of Egypt, the comforts of slavery, the comforts of knowing that I'll have a meal and a place to sleep, the comforts of the routine, the comforts of the past life that we go back to. And Jesus says, come. Enter into my rest. Because Jesus is greater. We must do whatever it takes to hold firm to our confession of faith. If we will enter into his rest. Have you begun to become ruthless with sin in your life? To begin to map out what are the patterns of sin? What are the patterns of ways of disobedience? What are the patterns that bring me to the places that bring me, that make me shut myself up from my godly community, make me shut myself up from God's voice and his scripture? What are those things? And begin to eliminate them in your life. Is it people's voices? Is it people's opinions? Is it certain shows? Is it certain books? Is it certain times or certain places that you go to? And just the remembrance, the smell, the atmosphere of that place makes you long for the sinful things of your life. Have we come to that place where we strive to enter into that rest? After God declared that Israel would need to go into the wilderness... They decided shortly after that they, they were going to actually try to go take the promised land on their own. They could go against God. They changed their mind. They said, we're going to go take that land. After God had said, no, you're going into the wilderness now for 40 years. And so they drew up their battle lines and they went into battle. And you know what happened? Their army was destroyed. And here the preacher says, the word of God is stronger than any sword. It cuts deeper, it divides better, and it discerns more. When you think you can ignore God's word and do what you want anyway and get to where he has declared you cannot have any more, know that God will destroy any other means of salvation that you have set up in your life. Israel said, you know what? God's not going to give us the day. We're going to take it anyway with the sword. But what they did not know is that God's word is greater than any sword that man can make. It cuts deeper. It is more discerning. It divides better than any sword can. Israel tried to take with the sword what God had declared was not for them due to their disobedience. They had to learn that God's word is greater than the sword. 
and they were left broken on the battlefields. See, whatever you think you can use to enter God's rest that is not pure obedience to God's word, God will destroy it. For Israel, it was the sword. For us, we have all sorts of options that can be our salvation. And we think, it's okay, I'm going to do it my way. How many times I've said, I felt God longing, calling, Justin, be with me. I said, it's okay, God, I'll do it on my time. I'll do it when I'm ready. I, I know better than you what my life is like and what is needed. And every time I've gone into battle, I found myself broken and shattered. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8 says this, The one who conquers will have a heritage. This verse is right after the new heavens and the new earth. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We cannot have what God offers his children by any other means than his son. There's only one way to get there. And we cannot have his son if we do not do whatever it takes to honor our confession of him. In verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows all. He knows all of our thoughts. He knows our heart. And our life will be exposed before him. We will have to give account for our life and for our actions. See, this pastor is begging the church, follow Jesus. He is faithful. His rest is greater. His promise is greater. At the end of all things, what you will be entering into is greater than any person has ever entered into in all of human history. Follow Jesus. Hold fast to the end. Don't, don't worry about the things that come, the suffering, the persecution, the hardship. Don't worry about these things. Follow Jesus. Don't grow weary of doing good. His promise is worth it. His rest is unmatched. Follow Jesus. He is faithful. Strive to enter into that rest. Do whatever it takes. The promise of Jesus is greater than any promise in this world. The rest of Jesus is a rest that we only can long for, only can hope for. It is a hope that is given to us that we will not be disappointed in. Do not walk away week after week after week without turning to him, 
See, it is of no consequence if you hear the good news week after week, if you see people of faith proclaim it time after time, but you do not take it yourself in full confidence in your personal confession to say, Jesus is Lord. Make this your own confession. Remember the confidence of your original confession. He is greater. He is worthy. There is nothing that this world has to offer that is greater. There is nothing that this world can do to me that will make me fall away. God, I can, God, you can take away everything. Devil, you can try your worst. And in the end, I may be naked, I may be alone, I may be broken, I may be bruised. But I know that the moment I shut my eyes on this earth, I will open them in glory in heaven with the Father and a new heaven and a new earth. And you cannot rob me from that. We need a confession that has its foundation on the strongest rock, on Jesus Christ. That when this wind comes, when the storms come, when the hail and the rain comes, that I will not be shaken. No matter what the report from my doctor is, no matter what the report from my job is, no matter what my bank account statement looks like, no matter what my mortgage is telling me, it doesn't matter what that looks like. There is something that will never change. And that is my confession of Jesus. Church, hold it firm. Hold it fast. Never let it go in any situation. Know that it is your only rock, your solid rock, that no matter what comes, it is the only thing that cannot be shaken, the only thing that will not be broken. It is the only foundation that is true, that is strong in this world that we can trust in, that is faithful, that is reliable, that will always be with us and never leave us. It is our faith in Jesus. The apostles knew they could be crucified, they could be beheaded, they can be stoned to death. But the only thing that mattered was their faithful proclamation and confession of the faith that they had in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Will we be a church today that has that foundation of that confession? Or will we be like the church here that was struggling walking away from the confession, their confidence in it. Because the world got harder around them. Like the preacher said to them, I say to us today, hold fast, hold firm to your original confidence in the confession of Jesus Christ in your life. Because there is a rest that we enter into that is greater than any rest A rest that is promised, that is a hope that will not leave us disappointed. That as we look to eternity, we know that all things will be made new. We can say, enemy, you can do what you want with me in this life. But my body will be whole, my heart and my mind will be whole. And I will be in everlasting joy forever and ever. Will you stand with me?